And I had to think about that because it's become, a lay, it's become a major lie of our day, hasn't it? I mean, we don't even think about that phrase when we touch money. We're more concerned about getting rich here than rich in his kingdom. We're more excited about getting cash gifts and bonuses and raises than gathering for worship and giving generously. And we've been looking at the sin of partiality. And of course, the illustration that James chose to use had to do with money. Those who had and those who didn't have. And what it means is this whole thing about partiality, it's about trust, isn't it? It's about pride versus God. It's about trusting ourselves, our judgments, our opinions, our ideas, or do we live out the trust in God? And when it comes to the whole rich, poor thing, it's why in the Old Testament, he said we're supposed to give a tithe of the first fruits. First fruits are the very first part of it, which means we had to give God and then trust him that we would have enough to live on. And so James addressing this problem of partiality, he first says, remember this? He said it's evil. And the way we behave with people indicates what we really believe about God. Now, I know we like to turn that around and we have our little doctrinal statements and our little things we like to recite. But James says, listen, that's nice. That's okay. But let's look about how you live this out. So the goal is aligning our behaviors with God's values. And where do we find God's values? It's God's word. That's why in James 1, he says you need to implant it, little seed, let it grow in your life. You need to reflect on it. Remember the word mirror. And it becomes our life, head to the heart. So let's look at James chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 8. Here's what James says. And again, this is in the context of the sin of partiality. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Royal law. Why is it royal? Because it was given by a king. Why is it royal? Because it rules over all other laws. Romans chapter 13, 10 says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. Now, when you think about it, it goes this way. We need laws today. Why? Because there's a lack of love. We wouldn't need laws if we ruled by love. People steal. Why? Because they desire to have what's not theirs or they need the money to buy something they're addicted to. And it can be drugs to desires for more. You know, addiction has many different faces. If you love the other person, you would not steal. Why? Because you do not want the other people to steal from you. I mean, that's the law of love. And part of what James says is this. Listen, do we realize that all other laws are put in place because we do not love? Let's take marriage for a moment. If it's operated out of love, today we would not need PFAs, you know, protection from abuse orders. We wouldn't need it. We wouldn't have broken marriages. I received an email some time ago from a friend in Canada. Names are Bill and Sharon. And here's what the email said. It said, I just got off the phone with a friend who lives in northern tip of Newfoundland. 
He said that since early morning, the snow has been nearly waist high and is still falling. The temperature's dropping well below zero. North wind is increasing near gale force. He says his wife has done nothing but look through the kitchen window and just stare. And then he adds, he says if it gets much worse, he may have to let her in. I did not hear an amen on that one. (laughs) That is not the law of love. And yet, isn't that what we do to people closest to us? We keep them outside of ourselves. But James is saying, listen, the law of love, the royal law given by a king, but it trumps every other law. And the reason we have laws today is because we don't operate by this law. Now, I know sometimes we say, well, that's a New Testament law. Actually, it was an Old Testament law. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, or the daughters, or the kids. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And of course, we flip that over where Jesus talks about that. We see James talking about Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. And again, he wasn't operating out of the law of love. He was operating out of this whole thing, I'm going to get Jesus. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He was quoting the Old Testament. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Question, two answers. Two answers have to do with the vertical relationship. We need to have proper perspective. We need Christ in our life. We need to live him as Savior, Lord, and King. But also he talks about the horizontal relationship. And see, those two go hand in hand. I'm going to show my age a little bit here. Anybody remember when there was cartoons in the paper? Okay, we're going to put this cartoon up. Peanuts. Anybody remember Peanuts? Wave your hand. Yeah. Lucy. Talking to Linus says, you a doctor? Ha. That's a big laugh. You can never be a doctor. You know why? Because you don't love mankind. That's why. And Linus yells at her, leaving away, says, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. (laughs) I think that's where a lot of Christians live. We talk about our love for everybody. But we have this list of people we can't stand. And and we have spiritual reasons of why we cannot love them. But remember the words of Jesus. He says, do this and you will live. Other times he said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's taking what we know in Christ and fleshing that out in our horizontal relationships that's so important. D.L. Moody said this, every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. So here's the principle. We are to treat others the way God treats me. We are to treat others the way God treats me. Say that with me. We are to treat others the way God treats me. Not the way I like God to treat me, but it's the truth about the way God treats me. And when you look at Christ and you look at how he died for our sins, when you realize that he did everything to bring glory to his father, that means then that people should see the glory of Christ in us. But here's what this means. 
We only believe as much as the Bible of the Bible that we practice. We only believe as much of the Bible as we practice. And so James says this, our practice should be dominated by love. Now I know for Christianity, many of us are confused in this because we were raised with our list of things that we couldn't do. And so being a Christian meant, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. James says, what you don't do is you don't have the sin of partiality. He says, what you do do is your life's dominated by love. And the law of love is not an emotional love. The law of love says you can love a person you actually do not like. There's nowhere in scripture says you have to like the person. Can I get amen? <laughs> we all have people like that, don't we? People, when they come into our presence, we just do not like them. But, James says, you can't show partiality. See, love loves all, just not some. Love loves even the difficult people that do not reciprocate that kind of love to you. Love is an opportunity to live out Christ. It's a choice, not a reaction. So we put this in context back in chapter 1 where he talks about trials. Remember, it's not if, it's when. And he says, listen, there's going to be people who will come into your life and they're going to be difficult. They're going to hurt you. They're going to despise you. They're going to treat you horribly. But I want you to choose joy. That's what he said in chapter 1. Now in chapter 2, he says, listen, in the midst of those trials and temptations, I want you to practice the law of love. Act biblically. And this is what sets us free. Do this and live. And remember what he said. If you follow your desires when you're in trial, if you follow the law of self-love, you will be enslaved and you will die. You will bring death to your soul. Now we'll get into this later, but in James chapter 4, He really reiterates this principle where he says, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. And murder is far beyond this physical thing. We murder people with our words. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. People often read the first part of that, not the second part. You ask in wrong ways to spend it on your passions. Now, I hear people say all the time, I'll never forgive what, and they talk about this person said to them or did to them, and there's a long list. Now, when I look at James, I realize they're not choosing joy. They're not acting according to the law of love. And when we don't choose joy and we don't operate according to the law of love, we will become angry, self-righteous people. Now, let me add this to the whole equation, because this is where we get frustrated. We may not be able to understand the plans of God for our life. We may not understand all the details. We may not understand what is going on right now and where that will lead us. And that is okay. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9 says this. And I know we read this and you hear 
us say this a lot, but we really don't practice this. Isaiah says, and God's speaking through Isaiah saying, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here's the principle. Understanding can wait. Obedience cannot wait. I want you to understand that principle. Understanding can wait. Obedience cannot wait. God, why should we march around the walls of Jericho seven times? It makes no sense from a military strategy. God says, just do it. Watch what happens. Long comes a king. He's proud, but he has leprosy. Prophet comes along and says, wash in this dirty, filthy river, not once, not twice, but seven times. And every time Naaman went in and says, why do I got to do this again? And God says, just do it and see what happens. See, trust means you do not need to know everything. The only thing you need to know is that you can trust God. And one of the difficulties we face with choosing joy in this law of love, in the midst of trials and temptations, in the midst of the sin of partiality, is that we want understanding before we act. We want all the details before we choose. We want to know how it's all going to work out before. I guess we call that risk-free we got to take the risk out of everything. And James says, no. You're going to choose joy in the midst of the trial, even though you don't know where the trial is going to take you. And again, the major theme of James is what? Let's grow up. It's just time to grow up. Because when we go navigate these trials and we go through these trials, it's where God really reveals in us the kind of character he wants to build. In a moment, he's going to reveal another thing. Let's look at James chapter 2, verse 9. We need to continue here. He says, listen, royal law, law of love, you need to do that. Not the sin of partiality. You need to love everyone on every level, on every occasion. But if you show partiality, he says, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. He first said it was evil. Now he says it's sin. He doesn't say, listen, well, you know, I, I was raised this way or, or I can't help myself. James says, no, you're being convicted by this royal law of love. And then he gives this illustration in verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Now, first of all, let me say this. It's why we need Christ. We cannot save ourselves. Amen? It's why we need grace. Because even after we're saved, if we're going to grow in Christ, we need Christ. We cannot do it ourselves. Amen? It's why we point people to Christ instead of trying to fix them the way we want them fixed. It's Christ who makes us righteous. So that's the first thing we have to understand. Then in verse 11, he says, For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. Let me explain it this way. Let's say you're in trial for murder. You're before a judge, you've been convicted, and you're being sentenced. 
Judge looks at you and says, do you have anything to say before I pronounce your sentence? And you look at the judge and say, yes, I would like to say something. Judge, I just want you to know I never committed adultery. Yes, I stabbed John 52 times. Yes, I killed John. But before you sense me, I just want to say I did not commit adultery. What do you think the judge is going to say? Going to kind of say, what does that have to do with you killing John? Here's what James saying. That the sin of partiality is not canceled out by other sins you did not commit. If you want another illustration, you know, the sins here are named are capital offenses, which means they were offenses, they were punished by death. And so often as Christians, we do this whole sin game in our minds. The sin of partiality, we say, well, you know what? That's a minor issue. It's not a big deal. Let's take the Ten Commandments. You go before God one day, and by the way, the Ten Commandments, they're all connected. They're all interconnected. And you sit there and say, God, you know, okay, yes, I I violated number one, but you know, I kept two through ten. Guess what? If you're judged by the law, you're dead. You don't sit there and say, well, God, you know what? I did one through nine, but okay, I I slipped on ten. Guess what? You're dead. If you're convicted by the law. And all James is saying is this. Listen. You are made righteous by Christ. And the sin of partiality, it's bad. It's evil. You cannot excuse it. And James says, listen, you need Jesus. Because Jesus cancels the sentence of death. It transforms you. You get rid of that sin. It's what we call holiness or sanctification. It's not perfection, but progress. And all James is trying to say is, is this. Listen, one of the practices, if you're going to choose joy, one of the practices, if you're going to choose the royal law of love, is that you will not exhibit this evil sin of partiality that destroys the unity in the body of Christ, that violates the dignity and value of all people. Now, the hard balance for us is, okay, we stay true to God's word and we live with people and we bless them and we value them because, remember, Christ looks at future possibilities. We look at past problems. And it doesn't say you have to agree with their position. It doesn't mean you have to prove their position. It simply means that you got to treat them according to the law of love. Let me suggest two things in line with this then. The first is that we have to see people instead of judging them. We need to see people instead of judging them. What that means is we lay down the microscope and we pick up the mirror. I hope this makes sense. But anything, anything that makes you feel superior or inferior, this whole partiality thing, we can be critical of people that we feel are superior because we feel inferior to them, so we criticize them. Or if we look down on them, and of course, you look at the rich-poor illustration, a lot of times people who don't have much look at rich, and they judge them harshly because secretly they really want to be rich like them. 
Then there's the rich people who look down on poor people saying, well, you know, if you just lived your life right and if you did everything that I did and you worked hard, you would be like me. But anything, anything that makes you feel superior or inferior does not honor God. I mean, that's part of the fruit of the sin of partiality. It lifts people to a place they shouldn't be and it puts people down to a place they shouldn't be. One version enslaves us to our perspectives. It's what we think. It's what we feel. The other version is enslaved to other people's opinions. I mean, how many times have you heard, well, you know, I'm just so concerned what people are going to think about me. Neither one honors, brings glory to God. Remember what I said a few weeks ago? This is something I heard a speaker say at a conference I was at, and it just kind of made me sit back and think for a long time. He said, you cannot please everyone, and if you think you can, you're lying to yourself. Amen? (laughs) But he said, you can please God. You can please God. Imagine that. Imagine the reality of a world where his created beings we cannot please, but the creator himself we can please. How freeing is that? How freeing is living in such a way that we do not have to be the moral policeman over somebody, and yet we allow God's word and God's Holy Spirit to speak into their lives at God's moment, at God's timing. I often said this, you know, why should somebody listen to me if they're not listening to God? God's a lot bigger than I am. Second thing, embrace trials rather than resist them. Embrace trials rather than resist them. Back in James, he says, listen, time to grow up. This is where we get mature. But secondly, what he talks about is this, and this is what we often miss. It's where we meet others. It's where we lead with them. And if you're going through a trial, and if you're going through a dark situation, would you rather have somebody who's never touched that, who's never been there, who kind of pretends everything's okay? Or would you have a co-journey person with you? I often said this back in high school. When the test scores came back, you looked at yours. You saw that little letter that said F or D. (laughs) Who'd you look for? Person with an A? Saying, man, I want to compare my F with your A. No, you look for other people, what? That F's. Because you can console yourself saying, the teacher was cruel and mean and that test wasn't fair. (laughs) Does that make sense? When you go through your trial, there's other people going through trials and you meet each other going through the trial and you get to walk with each other and you get to help each other. You get to pray for each other. You get to help each other grow. If you don't go through the trial the right way, then you're in self-desire. What do you do? You push people away. You alienate people. You actually push away the very people that are called to be in your life that can help you. We get all this backwards. We have this desire for everything to make sense. The understanding thing, I already talked about that. But the truth is we need to be in control. It's our need to be in control that consumes us and brings death. 
Now, when you look at the life of Jesus, things are always kind of backwards to us because they don't make sense. Dallas Willard one time talked about the secret of the easy yoke. He's referring to Matthew chapter 11. And I'll put it on the screen. You can follow with me. Here's what Jesus said. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And we look at that and we say, wow, I wish I could live there. Now, the yoke is an instrument of work. And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, if you follow me, there's a new way to live. If you follow me, there's an adopted lifestyle of Jesus. If you follow me, the goal is not perfection, it's progress. And it's why Paul would come along and say, listen, I got this thorn in my flesh. I prayed about three times. I embraced it and I accepted it because when I am weak, then I'm strong. And we sit there and say, that doesn't make sense. See, it comes down to trust. But we want the understanding. We want to sit there and say, listen, tell me how it's all going to work out in the end and then I'll trust you. And God says, no, no, no. Trust me first to work it out. See, we spend most of our lives trying to get rid of our weaknesses rather than allowing them to bring glory to God. In this passage here, Jesus literally says we're called to do less, not more. We fill our calendars with a lot of stuff, and then we stress ourselves out. Ever been there? (laughs) We take our calendars... And they literally become our God because, man, we fill in here, we go here, and everything else like this. And how are we going to fit all this stuff in? Let me encourage you this week to take your calendar and murder 12 things. Free it up. Look at stuff that is in there because you want to make a good impression on somebody. That if I don't do this, then they won't like me or they'll have a different impression of me. Or what about something you have in there that makes you feel superior, saying, listen, I got to do this because I am important. And if I'm not there, then nothing happens. See, all that's part of the sin of partiality. We're called to love. We're called to choose joy. We're to fill our lives with the desires of Christ. If we fill our lives with our desires, it brings death, not life. It brings chaos, not peace. Now, let me read this passage in, in what's called a, a transliteration, not a transliteration. It's like a commentary. It's called the message. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now see, this doesn't make sense. Choosing joy in the midst of a heavy trial doesn't make sense. And yet when we do it, this is the byproduct. Choosing the law of love doesn't make sense if people are mean and abusive to us. And yet Jesus says, do it and you shall be free. See, the original sin 
is we all wanted to be gods. We couldn't trust the one true God. James says, time to grow up. God is love. And we are people that choose love. We are people that choose joy. Now we're entering the Advent season. And we're going to stop James for a moment. We'll pick it up back again after Christmas. And we're going to join what's called the Advent Conspiracy. We've done it a few years ago. And the Advent Conspiracy is literally about turning Christmas upside down. Instead of hurry, we slow down. Instead of all these gifts, we learn generosity. But here are the four themes. Worship fully. Again, we're going to talk about what it means to bow our knees to an audience of one. We're going to talk about spending less. You know, this whole obsession in our culture that spending more means we save more. I love that with the sale catches. They always tell you how much you're going to save. Well, actually, you can save a whole lot more by spending less. And the reason you spend less is because you're going to give more. Okay? And there's different ways to gift other than just gifts. Think about one of the things that, that, again, I was reminded of in our Thanksgiving Eve service. We had a lot of people from uh, Discovery Recovery there. And what we fail to realize is that while holiday seasons is great for some of us, it's really hard for others. It's where a lot of tragedy happened. It's where all our turmoil and death happened. And so during the holiday seasons, they struggle. So giving more might be coming alongside somebody. And just walking with them in their trial, bringing them into your house during the holiday seasons, making sure that they are blessed because the kind of past they lived with. So when you talk about giving more, it's just not putting money in an offering plate. There's so many levels of this we'll get into. Then finally, loving all. And we're going to expand this theme that James talked about even more on Christmas morning and um, just celebrating what it means to live out this law, this royal law of love. We're going to invite the worship team up. We're going to close with a song. And while they do that, I want you to pray with me. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that we are created in your image. Forgive us when we don't see that in other people. Forgive us when we don't see that in ourselves. Because this world has said things about us that we've chosen to believe the lies that are not true. Forgive us when we spread those lies and said things about other people that are not true. And I pray, Lord, this whole choosing joy and choosing love in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our world and all the chaos that exists, because we want to shine forth the glory of Christ. I just pray that you help us realize that all this happens only because of you. You make us righteous. You make our hearts and our minds right. It's not something we can fix. And if we can't fix ourselves, why should we fix other people? But help us to speak and live truth. Help us, as D.L. Moody said, wrap our Bibles in shoe leather, that we just walk what we know to be true. But we want to thank you this morning, Lord. We want to thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the way that you treat us. And give us that kind of vision, that grand vision that says... I want to be like Jesus and allow your spirit to work in our lives in ways that we cannot even imagine. 
So during this Advent season, Lord, may we just raise up the visibility of who you are in this world. And give us that kind of bold vision. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen.